0: The ditch of denial, the ditch of despair. The ditch of denial, everything is is fine and is just going to be good. The ditch of denial, nothing is ever going to be the same again. I grip my teeth, I smile, and I power through it. I throw my hands up in the air, and I'm just walking away. I'm done. The ditch of denial, the ditch of despair. In my pastoral ministry, I have found that when people enter into a place of deep grief and hurt and pain or sorrow, when they find themselves walking through that dark valley, they tend to land in one of the two ditches the ditch of denial or the ditch of despair. But what I want us to see this morning, and as we work through this series over the next few weeks, that there is a third place that we can land. A third place where God's people can land in those times where we're walking through those dark valleys and dealing with those painful emotions and those struggles. And that place where we can land is in the place of lament. The place of lament, Mark, Rogop, in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, defines lament this way, a prayer of pain that leads to trust. That's a third way. A prayer of pain that ultimately leads, as we just heard sung, uh, as a reflecting on Psalm 77, that we can land in a place of trust. A lament is true that we we call out, we cry out, we express those, those deep emotions and those deep hurtful feelings, but we bring them to a God who we know hears them, listens, and then will respond. This is the pattern of God's people in the Scriptures. As we look at the Psalms, and we're going to take a look at a few of them over the next few weeks, what we see in the Psalms is that God's people regularly practice the rhythm of singing and expressing their sorrow. The Psalms were songs. It was Israel's songbook. And what we find in that songbook is that 65 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. That's over half of the Psalms. I mean, think about that for a moment. This is Israel's songbook, and half of their songs are sung in a minor chord. They're sung with songs of lament. In contrast, a list of the top 100 songs that are sung in churches today show that only five of those songs would be called songs of lament. It seems we shy away from dealing with these emotions and we head to the ditch of denial or the ditch of despair. But we need to recognize as God's people that these feelings, these emotions are part of life as we live it here on earth. Because until Jesus comes, this earth is going to be filled with sin and it's going to be broken. And Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But he backed it up with the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we're gonna have struggle. We're gonna have hurt. We're gonna have pain. That's the exact same thing that God's people felt thousands of years ago when the Psalms were written. But they knew the language of lament that helped them move from from that pain to a place of trust. And my hope is that we too, as we look at these Psalms, can learn that same language, and that we too will be able to move from those places of pain and sorrow and grief and hurt, those deep emotions, to a place of trust. This morning, Bill and Barb read for us uh, from Psalm 77. And we tried to put it in the context of a song so you could get the, the feel of what a psalm actually is feeling and saying. And as we look at Psalm 77 together this morning, what we see is that there are four steps that we need to take to move from a place of hurt to a place of trust. These steps are not only found in Psalm 77, but they're generally found in all of the Psalms of lament. These steps are that we turn towards God, we give him our complaint, we ask boldly, and then we move to a place of trust. In each of these Psalms of Lament, you can pull these four, these four elements out of those Psalms. They don't all happen necessarily in linear order because Psalms are music, they're poetry, but they are there. And if we can learn to capture these ourselves, then we too can pray through them I printed them for you on this insert in your bulletin today. These are the four steps towards writing a lament. And my hope is that you would be able to use this as a guide to take this and write your own song of lament. Maybe something you've been dealing with for a long time and be able to to verbalize it and write it down and be able to bring it to God as you wrestle with your lament. And so this is a tool that I hope you'll be able to use and in the next two weeks following this, mess, uh, following our service, we're going to kind of have a, a, a lament writing workshop, if you will. And I want to invite you to come there, and the pastors will be there and others to help write our songs of lament so we can express these things to God in a way that is helpful and leads us to a place of trust. So as we turn to Psalm 77, we can see that the psalmist is in pain. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out for God to hear me in verse 1. Verse 2, he says, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands all night long. I'm reaching out my hands to God, bringing it to Him. And yet I would not be comforted. We don't know what the distress is that he's going through here. Other translations may interpret this phrase, day of trouble. Some think that maybe this psalm was written by Jacob at the loss of his son Joseph. Because as we read in Genesis 37-35, as Jacob is wrestling with that loss, his family comes around him and he uses those same words. He says, I would not be comforted. We don't know if it is actually attributed to Jacob or not, but clearly it's a person in pain, a person in trouble, a person dealing with distress. And notice the direction that he turns. Verse one, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when he's in his distress, when he's in his day of trouble, he turns to God. He turns to God. And this may be kind of basic, but it's the starting point. Because I find that when people get in one of these situations of distress and trouble and hurt and pain, there is a temptation to step away from God to give God the silent treatment, if you will. God, if this is what you're going to do to me, God, if this is how you're going to treat me, then I'm done. The ditch of despair. And we can't do that. Because silence between us and God is a soul killer. It's a soul killer. And the enemy knows that. And the enemy wants to take it when you are at your lowest moment in despair, in hurt, in pain, and put in your head that your God does not love you. Your God wants nothing to do with you. Why would you ever follow a God like that and He wants you to turn and move as far away from God as you can? And I see many people doing that. And maybe you're here this morning that's something that you've done. And so I want you to see what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I cried out loud to God. I turned to God. Why would he make that turn? Because he knows that God is the one who can help him. He knows that God is sovereign. God is the one who holds all things in his hands. See, if you don't believe that God can do any of that, you wouldn't even talk to him. You wouldn't even have uh, be concerned about it. You would just be off on your own struggling in a pit of despair but because we know our God we know who God is we know that he's sovereign and so even while I'm going through this experiencing this I'm gonna turn to him because there's nothing on earth that can help me and people try it right we try to medicate ourselves We try to uh, counsel ourselves, we try to post and tweet ourselves, we try to do all kinds of things to medicate ourselves and take care of it, but we can't. I lift my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the name of the Lord. And that's why we turn towards God. It is a step of faith, and that's what I'm asking you to take when you are in that moment, when you are in that place, when you are in that struggle, to turn to God. Turn to God. That is the very first step, is to make that turn towards God. And then the second step, as you've come face to face with God, is to bring your complaint Bring your complaint to God. Complaint is defined as a statement. It's a statement that a situation is unsatisfactory or unacceptable. And usually, this complaint is rooted in who we know God to be and the very character of God. As we just got done singing, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. But you know what? Right now, I'm walking through this. I'm hurting from this. I'm dealing with this. And it just doesn't feel like you're a good, good father right now. And we have that tension. And what do we do with that tension? We voice it and we bring that complaint to God. The complaints that we have are like, God, this is your character. This is who you revealed yourself to be. Yet we're missing something here, God, and so I am complaining to you about it. And we see the psalmist doing that. Bob delivered that so well for us this morning. He asked six questions as he goes through there. Verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And of course, in some sense, those are rhetorical questions because he knows deep inside his heart, deep inside his heart, that the answer to every one of those questions is no. It's no. But that's what's creating the tension. You see, God, God. You you say that you will shine your favor on us. You will show you'll be you'll show your love. Your promises are forever, God. You promise to be merciful, but I'm just not feeling it right now, God. And He brings those questions to God. And I want you to see that that's an okay thing. That's not those are not questions of unbelief. We're like, oh, I got to be over here. I got to be happy faced because I can't say all those things to God because I'm a Christian, and i got to have faith and press on towards the goal. But those really are questions of belief. Those are statements of faith in who God is. I believe you to be these things, God. I'm turning to you, and I'm declaring that these are who you are, and so why is it I don't see it? And he asked the questions. Because, see, we ask those questions in faith. Because we're, trying, we're moving on a journey. We're not just asking those questions and then mic drop, God, forget you, I'm out of here. The goal in lament is to move towards a place of trust. Because if we do just bring those complaints and we crab at God and we get with our friends and, and we bemoan all that God is doing and saying, God is not present, God is not here, God does not care, I'm out. Those lead us to sin. And we see that in the scriptures. God's people were at a place called Rephidim. When they came out out of the Exodus, through the Red Sea, God saved them from Pharaoh and the army. They're now in the wilderness at a place called Rephidim. And remember what they did? They got all bent out of shape with Moses. Like, oh my goodness. Why did God bring us out here in the desert? Their chief complaint was, we don't have any food. We, at least in Egypt, we had food. What is God doing? And they're grumbling and complaining and groaning against God because their statement was, God's abandoned us. God's abandoned us. And they're talking behind God's back. And as you move through the scriptures, you realize that the place is later renamed Massah and Meribah. Massah and Meribah, the place of grumbling and complaining. They named that place after them because of that sin that they were doing there. And we see throughout the scriptures in Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 and other places that they refer to that grumbling and say, don't do that. Don't be like Massah and Marabah. That's not who you are as God's people. Yes, you can bring your feelings to God, and the Psalms are rich with that, but I'm bringing them to God in faith and in belief because of this tension between God, this is who you are, and this is what I'm feeling, and God, I don't know how to live here. Help me to figure this out and get through this. And so we need to ask these questions. To God, but we don't stop at complaint. Lament does not stop at complaint. Lament just doesn't wail and cry out and complain and I'm done. Lament is a journey towards trust. And so we make the next step where we ask boldly. We ask boldly. In lament we turn towards God We acknowledge this trouble and and tension that we're experiencing, and we yearn for God to bring deliverance in a way that aligns with his character. You said you were good. You said you have mercy. You said you're unfailing. You said your promises will last forever, but God, I'm not feeling it right now, and I'm asking you, God, do it, because that's who you are. God, do it, and I'm going to ask him, and I'm gonna ask him again, and I'm gonna ask him again, and I'm gonna ask him again and again, because I'm on the statement of faith that I know this is who God is, and I'm gonna keep asking him because I know this to be true of God. We see this here in Psalm 77, I think in verse 10. It's not as clear as it is in some of the other Psalms. As I said, this is not exactly lined up, like here's this step, this step, this step. But look at verse 10, where he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. That's what I'm going to ask God for. Yeah. Life is pretty rotten right now. I don't feel God's love. I don't feel his trust. I don't feel anything. But you know what? I'm going to say, God, show your right hand. Because what is the right hand of God? It means His power. It means His work. And God, in my day, when I'm broken, when I'm hurting, I'm gonna ask you to use your right hand and I'm gonna ask you to work, God. I'm gonna ask you to work. And I'm gonna trust in that. Look at Psalm 13 if you have your your Bibles to see another. This is perhaps a clearer picture of this. Psalm 13. He's asking the same questions. He comes right out of the chute, right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He's asking the questions. I got my complaints. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I got all these complaints. And then he says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes. He's asking boldly, God, I want to see I'm in this place, and I don't get it. All this is going on, and it hurts, and it's painful, and it's agony. God, help me to see, because I know who you are, that all things are for our good, but I don't see it. So God, let me see it you see the focus of prayers it's focused on God and who he is and who who God is it's not about it's not about our our comfort it's not about a life of leisure it's not about just us feeling good but it's that God is glorified in all things and as we live for his glory as his people that's what we want to see and so right now though God I don't see it so open my eyes because how could you be working in this situation? I don't get it. Help me to see it. And so they ask boldly. They ask boldly. And this is, I mean, this is, this is uh, a place that we just have to, to ask God knowing that he's going, we're gonna ask, and that's what keeps us moving forward. Because now I pin my hope on something, right? I've asked him. I'm not just out here in despair. I've now asked God to do something, and I'm gonna ask him, and I know he will because that's who he is, and I'm gonna ask and that he will deliver me from this. And let's go back to the song we sang, he is a good father. And Jesus tells us, don't worry, your father knows what you need. So God, I I don't get it, but I'm believing that you know what I need. And we read this week at the men's group about prayer where Jesus is kind of saying, come on guys, which of you, if your your, uh, your son asks for uh, a fish, is going to get a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, he's going to give a scorpion. Would you do that to your kids? No, well your father in heaven is not going to do that to you. But don't we think that? But like God, here I am. You say you're a good father, but you just gave me a big scorpion. <laughs> God, you just right here, I needed an egg, but you just gave me a snake. Would God do that? Jesus says, no, God's not going to do that. And we often can't see what God sees. His ways are higher than ours ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's why I love the psalmist's ask in 13, let me see. God, use your arm, I want your, bring your power. How, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but God, do it. And then we ask boldly, and then step into the final step, which is trust. Trust. There's a little phrase that I use here with us on many occasions, and in the next four weeks, it is going to become front and center. Who are we? We are but people. For those who haven't been here at Orchard Hill before, that is a nice thing. It's B U T, not B U T T. (laughs) Uh, We are but people. And we see that here in the Psalms, that every one of them, there is a pivot word. And the pivot word is but or yet. And there is a switch. And when I say that, it means in this world and in this life, everything is moving this way. However, because we are God's children, it's different, and we turn. And we see that in every one of these Psalms, that there is a turn or there's a pivot. I have been feeling this pain. I've I've been feeling as I've turned towards you, God. Here's my complaints. I've asked you to to move boldly. I still can't see it. I still don't know, God. I'm unsure, because I'm still living down here. But. But. I am a person who's gonna live by faith. I'm a person who's gonna live in relationship to you, into the things that I know to be true about you. And we see this here, he says in Psalm 77, where I, where I see it in this psalm, because he doesn't give us that exact word. It's found in the Hebrew, but not in the English. If we look at 77, verse 10, he says, then I thought, uh, to this I will appeal. Okay? The then I thought is literally, and I said, my anguish, but... And I said, my anguish, but. Everything, this is that I'm feeling? But I move in this direction. Psalm 13, five, we see it there too. In Psalm 13, I asked all those things. Look on me and answer, Lord. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Verse five, but I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love and my heart rejoices in your salvation, God. Even in the midst of this, and I'm going to sing your praise, for you have been good to me. He lives into this. But he said, why, why does he have his butt here? He says, because I'm trusting in your unfailing love. The Hebrew word here is chesed. And Hassed is really God's covenant love. God's love that he made a covenant and then said, I will keep the covenant love Often it's interpreted mercy or unfailing love. is, is asking, is your unfailing love failing? And, and that's what's going on here. And he says, I'm going to trust in this because you made your covenant. You made your promise. You said you would never, ever forsake us. And if we didn't fulfill our end of it, you said you do your end, and I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. Even though I'm going through this, this is who I know you to be. But I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. God, I'm going to keep pressing in. I'm going to keep moving forward because this is who I know you are and I'm going to keep on asking that I will see and I'm going to keep on asking God that you will reveal your right hand. I'm going to keep on asking, but I know in the middle of this you're not absent, God. I'm going to keep moving towards you because I know this to be true. And we see that in Psalm 77. Psalm 77 gets anchored. And in, in, in where we anchor ourselves in this trust aspect is by remembering. By remembering. We're able to move forward by looking backwards. That's how we move forward, and we see that laid out for us here in Psalm 77. What keeps him trusting in God? Why does he say, okay, I'll appeal to God's right hand. Has he forgotten me? Has he done all this stuff? Well, no, I'm going to appeal to his right hand because and look at verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. God, I am here right now. I don't get it, but what am I going to do? Remember everything that you've done. God, behind me is a pile of faithfulness. Behind me is a pile of goodness. Behind me is a uh, a pile of your unfailing love. And so when I'm here and I'm questioning and I'm wondering, I'm just going to turn around and like, boom, there's the pile. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I can keep moving forward. And I guess take a couple more steps. I don't know. I don't trust. when I turn around and like, boom, there's another pile of God's goodness right behind us. And sometimes when we're moving forward, we don't see that. So we got to remember and we turn around. And he said, And suddenly he's like, your your ways, God, are holy. What God is great is our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among your peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people. I call for you to ask your mighty arm. I remember when you did redeem your people, God. I know you can answer that. With a mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, the heavens resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth. They're standing there, in this storm. They're standing there, in this storm. Your thunder was heard in the world when your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. And then what happened? Verse 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What event is he talking about here? Parting of, Parting of the Red Sea. Going through the Red Sea. This is going through the Red Sea. We stood there on the edge of the Red Sea. I'm in distress. The lightning, the thunder, the rain coming down, the sea before me, Pharaoh's armies coming behind me. What did the right hand of God do? Parted the sea and took me through it. Took us through it. The exodus, this is the signature event in the life of God's people at this time, and he said, I'm gonna look back. Do I need to doubt that moving forward, God? You're with me? Do I need to doubt, God, that, that, you, that you are gonna, you're gonna fulfill my promises and you're gonna hear my cries and hear my prayer? No, because when I turn around I look, I see the exodus. How can you doubt God after the exodus? (laughs) I remember the exodus. And that becomes his anchor that moves him forward. That becomes the floor he can stand on. Because right, I'm in pain, I'm in agony, I'm struggling. I don't know what to stand on. Look at the pile behind me, the exodus. Is God with me? Yeah. And the psalmist says, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep moving, I'm going to keep moving forward, because that's the event. Friends, what's the event in our day? It's right behind me, isn't it? It's the cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And we have to remember, we have to remember, because you see, we remember what God has done. Let me back up a little bit, because I just... I just saw in my notes here that I wrote this down. I, when I was talking about the Exodus, I was just listening to a podcast this week from um, GTI Tours, who we went to Israel with. They were interviewing our tour guide, Ronen, uh, about what's going on in Israel right now. And I found it interesting, at the very end of that, he says, we, in, in Jewish culture, we have a little song that we sing. And he said, but the, but the words are this. We have overcome Pharaoh we can overcome this. The people of Israel are still holding on to the promise of the Exodus, remembering what God has done. And God, it makes no sense that we just saw thousands of our brothers and sisters slaughtered, babies killed, people decapitated, God, it makes no sense. How do we move forward? We have overcome Pharaoh by your right hand, and we're going to overcome this. I thought that was so powerful. And for me, it reminds us, that's the same for us, too, that we have to be looking at our event, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. When I'm in this place where I'm hurting and I'm in pain and I'm struggling and I'm questioning God about anything, I look behind me and what do I see? I see a Savior with his arms outstretched for me. Dying for me not because of anything I've done but only because he loves me. So how in the world could I ever question him again? There's the love. We look back and we remember and that's why it's so important that we continue to gather as a community. We did that, we just did that two weeks ago. We gathered together, we celebrated communion. When we come together, what do we do? We remember what Jesus has done for us. Why, just so we can walk up and stroll and do this and then feel good, uh, I did my Christian duty? No, it's so when we hit this, when we hit this place of despair, of, of grief, of sorrow, of pain, and we begin to question God, and I start to lament and I holler it out to God, I can trust him. Because I remember the broken body. I remember the blood that was poured out for me. We witnessed the baptism a couple weeks ago. Why? To remember. We remember what Jesus did for us. I I, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was filled with sin, but now I have the Spirit of God in me. I remember that's who I am, and so I come together. We come together weekly to worship on the first day of the week, why? To remember Easter, that's why we come together, remember the risen Savior and proclaim his name and we have to build into our life this rhythm of remembering. And I gotta tell you, my pastoral experience, those who struggle most in a time of loss, time of grief, in a time of pain, Are those who haven't built up their remembering memory they're the ones who are not in the word the ones who most often are not praying who are not gathering weekly to hear the testimony of God's people this is why we 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 stress that we do these things not because you have to to be a Christian but they're they're central to our life of who we are as God's people As we follow him in the ups and downs of the rhythm of life. You have gotta build this base, this foundation, before you hit your your time of questioning, before you hit your time of grief, before you hit your time of pain. Those always reveal what you're built on. Jesus gave us that parable, didn't he? He gave us that parable, he says, you're gonna face storms in your life and the rain's gonna come down and the floods are gonna come up. You're gonna face those storms in life And those who have built their house on the sand, they're going to fall flat. But those who are on the rock, they're going to stand strong. And a lot of people are not living into that song that I learned as a little child, that I'm spending my time knowing the God, knowing who he is knowing how he worked, remembering what he has done, celebrating who he is, so that when I hit that time where my heart is is aching and the pain is gripping me, I can still move forward and trust him because I know who he is. And we live in that trust. That's the journey of lament. And again, I encourage you to work through this, this pattern, work through this, this process, and know that lament will not lead us to an immediate solution. Lament is not like a magical one, two, three, four, Oh, suddenly I, I feel better. It's not that kind of journey. Lament is, is again, as author Mark Vrogopp says, lament is the song you sing believing that one day God will answer and restore. Lament is a song you sing, believing that one day God will answer and restore. And lament is not our final prayer. Lament is the prayer that we have in the middle, here, in the already not yet, while we wait for Jesus to come again. Because our final prayer, which we know, and the hope that which we hold on to, is that our story does not end in sorrow. Our story does not end in grief. Our story does not end in despair. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, we know that God is going to redeem and bring a new heaven and a new earth. We know that God is gonna raise everybody from the dead. We know that we are gonna land in a place where one day there will be no more mourning, no more pain, and no more grieving. That's the final story, and we know that. And that's what we pray for, and that's what we hope for. And that's how we move through. It may not happen here on earth in our timing, but in God's timing, we can trust him and continue to live for his glory, continue to seeking him in our hurt and in our pain so that as we move through, we can continue to be a light for him because he always promises to be with us and never forsake us. Let's believe the good news. God, we come this morning and we hold on to these words of the psalmist here uh, because his heart is our heart. Uh, We've we've been dealt some tough things in life. I know this community has felt a lot of loss over this summer with friends who have passed away, loved ones who have passed away. People have moved in and out of our life, jobs that we love we no longer have health that we had held on to dearly now all of a sudden is fragile. These and many other way, God, as we gather as a community, we find ourselves often in a place of lament. And so I ask is that we cry out to you in this day that we would know you are with us. Send us your spirit, God. Send us your comforter so that we can know that you are Faithful. So restore the one here who is a little broken, who's a little fragile. And God, I ask in this day that they would come to you knowing that they are loved by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.